Morning, everybody. Jeez. I sound loud. Um, my name's Anthony. I don't know if some of you don't know that, but my name's Anthony, one of the leaders here. And uh, I've got the privilege of sharing the word this morning. Um, what you don't know is that uh, Travis's new job entails him working with the most important man in Cape Town. Um, he's the man that I got to meet. I got to be in his... Uh, what's it, kingdom of the man who roasts the coffee beans for Seattle coffee. <laughs> the man who touches the beans and puts it in the roaster and makes it that it is an elixir of goodness <laughs> that goes down your throat and makes you into a real person in the morning. So as you know, Gareth, I mean, Gareth, <laughs> Travis has um, joined Seattle coffee and he's my new, new, new best, best friend because um, he gets me the good stuff. But yeah, I'm going to miss you guys a lot. So I'm going to move on so Amy doesn't cry, not me. Um, guys, we are in the series of Standing in Faith, and uh, I've got the privilege again of being with you in this journey of hearing how people have uh, their lives give testimony to us from the Bible of how they stand in faith. And we've, we've heard different stories, and um, hopefully by now you've realized that what enables you and I to stand in faith uh, till, uh, till the return of Jesus, um, it's anything but things like my knowledge, my education, uh, my finances, uh, all those things don't seem to have been mentioned in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I find myself back in Hebrews again um, when it comes to this because uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people like you and me. And uh, I want to share out of Hebrews 4 this morning on a area of uh, section of scripture that we've probably heard multiple times, but I just want to focus in on it and then give context to it and how it could possibly be one um, one of the major building blocks of your faith and my faith and how we can stand in it, even in 2023. And so if you want to, um, hopefully it's on the screen, um, Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The writer of Hebrews is uh, informing us and showing us that the, the, God's word is more than just a book made up of material matter that is just there on your bookshelf at home and something that you look at maybe at Christmas or Easter it's not just an historical uh, book or telling us something of what life was like uh, back then, but uh, the writer is going to help us see that the Word of God is, is more about us being able to know who God is, as well as at the same time enabling you and I to see who we are. And it does both of those things. And so in isolation, if we just took this scripture and put it on a coffee mug, um, it, it could be some misunderstanding. It could come across as quite ish, scary. But if we put some context in where the writer has put this, 
Okay, can't start seeing that it's not troublesome. It's not, oh my goodness, it's actually something that can build our faith and allow us to be the people that do stand in our faith. Because he's writing to a group of people and uh, believers, and they find themselves in a place where life is not going well. And uh, for chapters three and into four, he's been building up this theme of that actually we don't get ourselves anywhere by ourselves, that it's the word of God, it's God who gets us to where every single one of us desire to be in, in a place where we are valued and we are not valued, but we are loved and eternally loved by the Father God. And so let's read from chapter four. I'm gonna do snippets. I'm gonna start at verse one. And, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to these guys that are struggling. Uh, some of them are fading. Some of them are walking away completely. Uh, some of them are just shaken. And he's writing to them after a whole lot of buildup of what God, who God is. And he's right, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with the fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God, for only we who believe can enter his rest. I'm jumping to verse nine. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. Verse 11. So let let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail, will fall. You see, the people of Israel, despite all these things of God's grace on them, his mercy on them, um, the Passover lamb, the meal, uh, getting through the Red Sea, the manna, all of those things, we still see them as a people, some of them going, no, I simply refuse to trust God. Despite those things, they refuse to believe him, what his promises are about, they harden their hearts, as scripture tells us, they even mock him and build an idol out of a, of a calf. They murmur when he promised that he would provide for them. They just doubted it, and their faith dwindled, or they did not believe. They did not trust. They had uncertainties like us. They had realities, yes, but at the core of it, their faith, they were not able or willing to stand in their faith. And the Hebrews are going through something of that. They got troubles. They've got serious issues going on, uh, if not more so because they've been persecuted, threatened with death for their belief. But the writer is trying to encourage them and say, the word of God, the word of God is what needs to be at the center of our faith. Without it, like those people, we fall away and we're not able to stand in our faith. And so the writer is saying to us, our rest with God is available. It's there. We're all able to receive it. We're all able to 
stay, stand and stay in faith if we look at this thing and we focus in and we take serious this thing of the word of God. Because it's the way we get to know God's character and we get to know, to understand his character, who he is, and when we allow that to happen, it changes. It changes things and it changes us. And all of that can be found in his word. What is the word that this writer is describing here? Well, we all know that John starts with, in the beginning the word already existed, the word was God, and the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. But the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew writer is saying that it's more than just us going, the word is Jesus. It is that, very, very much so. But he's also saying there's whole other ways that you and I and the Hebrews, the church of the Hebrews, were able to experience the word of God. In this passage, the word of God refers to any form of revelation of God. In general sense, meaning any method God uses to communicate with us. His word, Jesus, his church, his bride, friends, community, all of those things are what he uses to tell us about his character. But his primary way of talking to us and showing himself to us is his word, the written word. And for that reason, the writer's saying it's something for us to really take seriously or consider heavily. We learn in Scripture that the Word of God is alive and active. Alive and active. The original Greek year is basically living, to have life or be alive. The Word of God is alive because God is a living God. We see that in Hebrews 3.12, Jesus said, the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. That's John 6. In the parable of the sower, Jesus compared God's word to a seed, an organic thing that is planted and grows into something much bigger than what it was. It can spread. It can sprout new life and it can grow. Christians are made alive spiritually and eternally because we are born again, not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. That's in 1 Peter 1. Believer, we as believers enter God's eternal rest. Example is we receive God's gift of salvation by grace through faith alone and not by self-effort. We see that in Ephesians, through the life-giving power of God's word. The word of God is alive. This truth is the main point of the whole of verses 1 to 11 that the writer is trying to sell us, that by, uh, he's trying to drive home, is that no one can enter God's rest except those in whom God's message has taken deep, rooted, and complete control of that person's life and heart. God does the work of salvation by the power of his living word. When we submit to his word and trust him, he saves us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ.
what he's saying here is that actually when we look at the word of God, we get to know God and we realize this very quickly, if you stay in the word, that he is God and we are not. And at first that might sound a little bit, oh, but it's the most securing thing you can possibly have in your life. Because if you take a moment to think of your existence up until the point where whatever your age is, you realize that you and I make crummy gods. Whenever we try to be God, things do not go well. But the word of God, when that is in control, things go beautifully. The rest that your soul desires and my soul desires is found in that true God, that God that loves despite you and I behaving like little gods. It goes on from saying the word of God is alive, that it's active in us, to saying it's, uh, uh, I mean, alive in us, to being active. The term active here is effective, powerful, producing or capable of producing an intended result. The word of God is active in your life and my life when we allow it to take root in our hearts and our souls and understand our posture before mighty, holy, gracious, and merciful God. The word of God is vibrant, dynamic, energizing. It's not static or idols in the lives of genuine believers. We see in 1 Thessalonians that Paul writes that he's so happy to hear about that when they heard the word of God, they accepted it, not as words of men, but as the word of God and how he sees how it's changed their life. God's word is powerful, powerful. We heard from Heather last week that the word of God is powerful because it steps into circumstances. And like she showed us, sometimes it's not the way we want to step into that circumstances, but then we remind ourselves we're not good at being God. And then we see how God engages Habakkuk and even the circumstances of the world we find ourselves in, and he handles it in a very different way. God's word is powerful, not only to give life, but also to deliver warning if and judgment. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, Jeremiah 23. God's living word is not something to read or listen to and then you know, put on the shelf and passively forget. James, when we did James, James writes intently, part of it says intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and to focus on it by doing what it says. James reminds us that, listen, this is not something you just read, forget about it, and walk on with the rest of your life. The word of God is active. How is it active? Through you, in you. Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare, equip, create an active church. Can often remind you of Psalms 119 where David writes, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of the law or your word. That we be, the word is active that you're able to stand back and, 
and just see the wondrous work of God in your life and the lives of others. If we let God's word, this word that is living and active, get deep inside of us, something that we treasure, something that we, we, we run towards, it does things. It creates a, a living and active believer. See, experts over the years, I did a little search on sociology over the last couple hundred years. And sociology or psychology takes into account all the supposedly human behaviors and uh, comes up with a surefire way for you and I to engage life or do life. Now, that is great. But if anybody's over 10 years old in the room, you realize that those kind of things change. If we read up what sociology or what, what we were told, sheesh, not even... 60 years ago, I'd say probably 10 years ago, things change all the time. You know those researchers that come out and you know one minute chocolate's gonna save your life, the very next moment chocolate's gonna kill you, um, other things. It's the same with psychological things. Often we get told this is how, we saw, when we went through his image last year, we saw that. That's culture, sociology, psychology, that it finds a way of trying to tell you and I what is best for us? It's the beautiful thing about a scripture like this. The word of God stands up against those things for thousands of years. It has been consistent, consistent, most steadfast, most trustworthy thing you and I as human beings have had at our fingertips. And we do well to focus on it. And through the power of the word, the spirit of God, we are able to be active and alive even despite the circumstances of what's going on around us. So word of God is the way God communicates with us uh, uh, in showing us his son, Jesus Christ, how the written word influences us, how it shows us who he is and what he is about, it shows us our actual position in this world before him as God. It, 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 it is alive, it does something in you when you allow it to get deep into your soul and you understand it and you step, into, step further and further into faith of who God is through his word. It then tells us that it's alive, that you don't stay the same. It, it changes you, it grows you, it, it makes you more than who you ever think you would possibly be. But we have a problem if we're honest with ourselves. Things come along in life, even something like a pandemic. And if we're true, exactly like the Israelites, there are people, there are some of us that don't really see the value of this. They don't. They don't see the value of centering, of putting this, this, the word of God alive and active in the, in the center of their lives. You see, they don't want any authority speaking to them. Even if it's God, they want to be their own authority. And we see that in Exodus. And we see it in 2023. And we, saw it in, we see it in Hebrews. And that's what the writer's warning about. He's warning us against this. He's saying, they don't want 
God's authority. They want their own authority. They don't want an eternal word. They want a God of their own making that they can fully comprehend, if not control. They don't want gospel-focused words because they don't, then they don't have to admit that they need salvation. They don't want something living and active because that's vulnerable. They want something they can simply analyze, control, manipulate, and take form as they see fit. But the writer's saying, actually, for you and I, in 2023 and back then, actually, when you allow the word of God to be alive and active in your heart and in your life, why would you do that? He says, because it encourages, it gives grace, it's powerful, it invites us into his kingdom. It builds us up and sends us out. It changes your character and your life for the good. It goes on to say that the word of God is not just alive and active, but it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I don't have a sword. It's every man's dream to have a sword. If it isn't, we'll talk afterwards. And the author describes the word of God as a two-edged sword, sharper than a two-edged sword. Paul calls it the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword imagery also appears all over Scripture. It appears in Isaiah, Revelations 1, Revelations 2, as a sharp, double-edged sword. The word of God is an affinitive, offensive weapon against the assault and the culture of the world. That's why we need it so desperately. Because things do come flying at us, guys. Let's be honest. All kinds of things in this broken world. And the writer's reminding us, actually, we don't have to be backfooted. There's something that can give us courage and, and allow us to um, have a, a unshakable, what we were saying earlier, an unshakable foundation. It's the word of God. Because a two-edged sword, for back then the imagery was something that was able to cut both ways. Even if it hit something this way, it could bounce back and hit the other way. It was a big deal. Some people believe that the, the, two, the two edges are reference to the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I think what he's trying to show us is that the word of God is sharp and double-edged. And it cuts precisely through bone, through spirit, to cut out, expose, cut to be able to remove. It delivers maybe some conviction, some of that, but it delivers also healing and redemption. In Isaiah 55, the word of God writes, for the rain and the snow come down from heaven and go not, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. The word of God goes out 
It is alive and active and a sharper than a double-edged sword which enables it to cut through some of the things that need to be cut through. There's a lady in my life, other than my wife, Professor Stain, and she was uh, the lady that did my kidney transplant. And in speaking to her, she painted a pretty clean picture of this process. And when you're in it, you kind of like, your head's in the game. You're just focusing on getting on the other side. So you don't actually take too much detail in. But uh, she was the one that uh, cut me from there to there and put stuff in and another doctor cut my wife and took that out and there was a whole lot of swapping and changing and cutting and cutting. And then the other night I was watching a series on uh, Netflix about New York, I forget the name, Craig, medical, like real life. And I was lying there at 11 o'clock at night. What's it called? Yeah, emergency. And unplanned, I'm standing there and they show a real live kidney transplant. So I'm like, dude, I didn't get to see that. <laughs> so I'm watching and I'm like, what the? Oh, I can't say that word. <laughs> can't say that, I nearly said it. <laughs> Woo! Sure, that was close. But I went in knowing that someone's going to cut me with a scalpel and she explained and like that. And then I woke up in a hell of a lot of pain. And he said, damn it. Okay, so let's start again. And I was in pain, but then I saw what they do to you, and I was like, hey, man, there's a whole lot of ripping and, like, pulling and, and everything. But my point to that is what started that operation was somebody with the ability and the skill to have Anthony in front of them and cut them with this deadly sharp scalpel and expose and fix and get in there and do the things that need to be do. And the word of God is like that. That's why it's a double-edged sword because sometimes there's things that we don't even know that's wrong. Sometimes we know they're wrong but actually we're, we're playing the ignore the pain kind of thing. And God's word is sharper than two-edged sword because it's precise. It cuts through everything it needs to cut through and it gets to the heart of the matter. That kidney's absolutely done needs to be fixed. And the word of God is like that. It is able to cut, yes, but it cuts in a redemptive and healing and changing way. I was a chef for many years and we always said, you, you, you're gonna get cut, for sure. It's not, a, it's not if, it's how many times you're gonna get cut. But whoever was mentoring you or you're training with, your knives, were all, you were always told to make them deadly shocked. Deadly, deadly, deadly shop. And the reason is because when you get cut with a very, very, very sharp blade in that way, even if you take it off, because it's so clean and so precise, you can get fixed. When something is blunt and it's not been taken care of and it's not precise, when you get cut with that thing, it's nasty. And it actually can't get stitched and it's really a problem and you see it. So if you're gonna get cut, you wanna be cut by something that is precise and sharp. And so if you're gonna allow yourself in life to get, expo uh, get uh, worked on by somebody, you wanna get worked on by the word of God. 
And so we see that it's a double-edged sword. And then it goes on to get a little bit more concerning. Because the word, it says the word is discerning. It discerns our thoughts and our intentions. Have you ever lifted, um, you know like when your wife's asked you for like three years to clean something up in the garden? It's not me, guys. It's not me. And then you go out there and you move that thing that's been there for three years. And when you lift it up, what happens? There's stuff, cojos and stuff underneath. And then as you expose it to the light, what do they do? They scatter. They don't like it. They don't like it. And that's actually what the Word of God does here. It says, if you've ever turned over those things, those little critters run because they don't like the light. And there's things that you and I have in our life that just doesn't like the light. And so we learn from even David in the Old Testament that actually the Word of God can cut precisely, but it also discerns our thoughts, our intentions. And at first, that's like a scary thought. But actually, once you understand God, if you've done the first bit and you've got into his word and you realize it's alive and active and who he is, the thought of that isn't as terrifying. Because David says in Psalm 139, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search me out of my path and my lying down and, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. See, you and I can hide things from our spouse, work colleagues, family, even in church, you can put on a certain appearance. But the word of God, he exposes, he discerns, he knows. Before you've thought it, before you've said it, he knows. God cannot be fooled or shammed. He knows what you're thinking now and what you'll be thinking tomorrow. The word translated discerning also has a conjuring of a, or like a, a meaning of judge. But he doesn't mean the word condemns us. He means the word evaluates. He evaluates our thoughts and our intentions and weighs them and assesses them and, and, and looks at them. And then, out of his grace, he allows the word of God to correct us and grow us and show us a better way. See, the word of God penetrates deeply into us, not just in the bone, but into our souls, into the secret parts of our heart and our souls and, and brings an awareness, shows good as opposed to bad, sincere as opposed to hypocritical. This is how God works through his word to protect us against sin and temptation. See, because sin in this day and age is a swear word. But sin, when it burrows deeply inside of your life and your heart, it starts lying to us. It lies to you. And the good old saying, no one lies to you more than yourself. And sin is deceptive. Sin gets in, and it gets in deep. And it starts saying that actually you're better off sleeping with those people or with that person because then 
your feelings, your emotions will be better. Actually, it's okay if you do A, B, and C at work and accumulate wealth, because then you're going to be generous with it. That's what you always tell yourself. It tells you that it's okay to get that divorce because, you know, then your feelings will be better off. It tells you it's okay to talk about something that's happening in church instead of calling it what it is, gossip or slander. You see, our only hope of overcoming those things that come very naturally to you and me is a powerful, sharp enough, precise enough thing that can highlight it, expose it, cut it out, and that's the word of God. See, it goes on to also teach us that we're, we're kind of all get caught red-handed by God. Like I said earlier, you and I can, my dad always used to say, you can, fool, you can fool most people most of the time, but you can't fool everybody all of the time. Unfortunately, with God, you can't fool him any time. He has our number. You see, it's not just them that need to need the two-edged sword and the cutting. See, none of us fall into holiness or desiring the word of God. That's the problem. We don't look for it naturally. Because in our broken nature, our sinful nature, is that we do think we're God. See, none of us are innocent before God. It goes on to then say, some of us in this room, this is not raise your hand moment when I say, some of us have gone through life having the same recurring nightmare where you're naked at school or work. And for the life of you, for that whole dream, you can't find a pair of underpants or you can't get out of there and you're just sweating the whole time. That's a light-hearted way, but actually what the writer's saying, you know what, every single one of us is exposed naked before God and his word. It's all of us. It becomes problematic in verse 13. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The connotations of this word is that we're all exposed to whom we must give an account. At the end of the day, we're all going to be in front of God. And he's given us his spoken word, his written word, his son, and there's gonna be a moment where you and I have to give an account of that. And we often, especially in a church context, stand there going like, sure, I'm really glad I'm not them. But this is a bit of a realistic, what's it, red pill or green pill? I can't remember. Blue or red? If we're honest, we're all capable of the same things. If not worse. And the word of God goes there, goes there today, and it says, everything is uncovered and laid bare. 
your thoughts, your intentions, the things you know that are wrong that you don't fix or can't fix or whatever, it's all laid bare. God's word is not just skin deep. It cuts all the way through to our core. See, in the end, it's not just influencers, politicians, whoever that needs that knife or that double-edged sword. It's all of us. We're all guilty. You see, and, and when we do what some of the Israelites did and some of what the people in Hebrews were doing where we kind of just like ignore, the, you know, just shift our sight and our heart away from the word of God and we don't fully understand it and allow it to be alive and active and cut and expose things that we know need to be exposed and cut out and allow the character of God to change us. When we don't focus on it, our ability to stand in faith won't, might waver, it does waver. And then we end up with a, a people or a person or yourself or whatever where we, we defer an answer. We, we cast blame on someone else. It's always somebody else's fault. We avoid going to church. Have you ever experienced that when things aren't right, the first thing that kind of gets crossed off the calendar? We stop responding to maybe small group leaders or leaders or people that want to engage us in those things. Efforts to take care of us and we kind of bat it. Even worse than that, we stop being people of empathy or caring. So that's where I want to end about what the writer's showing us what the word of God is. But remember, he said, we preface this by saying, the rest, the rest that we seek, I'm having to go back. So let us do our best to enter that rest as the people of Israel. I mean, let us do our best to enter the rest. And he's trying to say to us, guys, things are real. Things are going on. Things are not ideal. Things in life are not always gonna go the way they seem. But actually, there's a way that you can stand firm in your faith. This word of God, it's consistent. It's alive, it's active, it cuts, it removes, it heals, it, it, it cuts to heal. And actually, the irony is there's not something you and I can hide from it. We can't say, oh, I pulled a fast one. And we do good to focus on it because we do want to be a church that is made up of people that don't just always blame other people or not uh, be, um, be emboldened and encouraged by even what happened this morning when we get to sing and worship God together. All those things that make up being a part of God's church. And that's the good news of this morning is that it doesn't stop there saying, hey guys, this knife's gonna cut along, the word of God's gonna come along and just slice you to bits and expose you. Because God's not like that. If you allow the word to work and you've soon realized like that is not who he is. He doesn't expose you and I um, to ourselves, if not maybe to one or two people, so that he can mock us or you know, shame us or uh, humiliate me in some way. He's, he's not, that's not the point of it. What God's word does to you and me is that far more than it exposes my pride, it exposes my um, self-protection, my arrogance. I remember when I was maybe a year into being married, um, which was 2000, am I right? Yes, 
And uh, we were part of this church back then, and uh, I was a, let's use the word, prideful, self-protecting, and arrogant young man, especially in my marriage. And uh, one day I did what I'd been doing and said something that was not honorable to my wife. Now, not, hot, like not hectic, just silly little comment, but it wasn't silly to her. And a man that led this church, Kevin, pulled me aside. And I look back now, he was the word of God. He came next to me and he said, hey, just so you know, that's not actually good enough. Um, and the next time I see you doing that, I'm going to give you a, it was the 2000s, just relax, all you. <laughs> can just see all the millennials and the Gen Zers are like ready to like cancel me. Just relax. It was a different time. We're real men, we're real men. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that was naughty. I repent. But he, he very lovingly, he was the word of God. He said, hey, man, that's not how you, that's not how you do marriage. That's not how you show love for your wife. And he was gracious with me, but I was still stung. I mean, who, who appreciates someone coming up to you saying, hey, you're not actually hitting the mark right there in your marriage? And oh, I don't lie. The first time he said, don't. The second time he said, dude, that's two. On the third time, we're going to have words. And so at first, like I say, it wasn't, it was my pride, it was my arrogance, but the word of God, sometimes it's through his written word, sometimes it's through this awesome experience during worship where you glorify God, and sometimes it's even you and me. And we have to be the people that are prepared to put the word of God center of our personal lives, because when those moments come, then I don't behave in a way of like, who are you? Or when leaders try and engage you, you're not, get out of me, who are you? We're gracious and we understand what's going on. God is showing himself to us. See, he doesn't expose that stuff because he is a redemptive, healing, and empowering God. That's what his word is about. Because if we stop at 13, we go, okay, but if we carry on 14 and 15, let's read what the writer of Hebrews is trying to see, show us when we look at the word of God. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let's stand in faith. Because of his word, you and I are gonna be able to stand in faith. Because the word of God takes center in my life. I understand who Jesus is, why, how I can even stand in the presence of God, how I'm even able to lift the word of God. It's not because of my effort, but because of the word of God. And it enables me to stand in my faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then verse four, 16 beautiful verse to end off with. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne. In those days, thrones represented power, might, judgment, punishment, control, 
But what is it right? It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says we can approach that throne because it's not a throne of judgment, it's a throne of grace. It means we can boldly come to him without fear. It means that even in the midst of our exposed, naked cells, he knows everything. We don't have to hide anything because he's gracious and merciful. It means there's grace for us even when we trip up. See, the writer is trying to say to these writers, saying to the Hebrews, guys, life, your, your salvation is not made up of one single moment. It's made up of your whole life. Standing firm in your faith. And the thing that's going to enable you and I to stand firm for the journey of our whole lives, regardless of how long or short that is, is this, is that the word of God takes root you understand what Jesus Christ did for you, that you can stand at the throne of God with confidence because it's a throne of grace. We can approach God and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's plenty of people in this room right now that have need and need grace. We receive God's mercy, which is not getting what we deserve. We find grace is unmerited favor, getting what we don't deserve. We need both his mercy and his grace in order to stand in our faith. And the word of God reminds us that consistently. We need to make it the center of our life. I want the, would like the band to come up, not want, I would like the band to come up. <laughs> I'd love to just go into a time of response. And even uh, on the back of what Gareth had said earlier, that in that beautiful time of response where the guys led us well, maybe this morning while we are responding in worship to this gracious and merciful God, maybe some of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, the word of God has been nothing more than a dusty book on a shelf somewhere in your house that it hasn't been at the center, and that actually, if we're honest with ourselves, there's some of us that our faith is faltering, if not faltered already. Through people doing things that are not godly, doing things wrong, even in church, but for whatever the reason, that's not the main thing. The reason is not that important, other than you understanding that if you're a believer, and even if you're not, this morning you can come before a king who sits on a throne of grace, of mercy, and we're able to come to him knowing that we're exposed, that he has, his word is able to cut, but it cuts for a reason to make you and me more Christ-like. Not to expose us for the sake of shame and mockery, but for the sake of being able, you and I, to stand firm in our faith till that day comes when we are with our mighty King. And so I would love to pray and then we go into a time of worship. And maybe during this time of worship, you have to have a moment with God and allow Him to cut into the areas of your life.
that need to be cut into. Maybe there's some stuff that hasn't been exposed. I'd encourage you, our good and faithful, gracious God does not do, doesn't do that for only one reason, but to allow that to be exposed, that it can get to work in it and help you heal. Father God, you can stand. We're going to go into it. Father God, I pray for every single one of us in this room, God, that we would be people that understand that your word, your written word, your pro, your, your, the proclamation of your word, this church that represents your word in a way as, as we do life together, as we stand next to each other, as we worship together. God, that your word is alive and active. And it takes root in our hearts and our souls. It, 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 it creates life in us, God. It creates an activity of us seeking your word, seeking your glory, wanting to worship you, wanting to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. You took the ultimate uh, step towards closing that gap, God, by hanging on a cross and being cut, being shed blood for us, that we can stand before you, God, with confidence this morning. You call us to you, God. You say, you know what? I know exactly what's happened already. I know exa exactly what's going to happen. And the answer to all of that, what's happened and what could happen, and is that you understand who I am, your mighty King, your Savior, Almighty, holy, King of kings, Lord of lords. But even in that holiness, that glory, that the weight of my glory is able to displace the weight of any sin, any burden, any hurt. What you need to do is approach my throne of grace and allow me to operate, me to cut, me to expose. And in that we can stand in faith till our last breath on this earth. Father God, speak to every single one of us in this room. Holy Spirit, have your way as we worship you. And we thank you.